When your smartphone is on 10%, you panic. You're at the restaurant or wherever you are, you're like searching for an outlet, searching for something to plug into. But when we are running on 10%, when you are running on 10%, why do you not have that same sense of urgency to plug in, to recharge, to fuel up? You just allow yourself to burn and burn and run and run until it's like, you know, until you're completely powered off. What is up, everyone? This is Thrive Five, and I'm your host, Clarice Metzger, a storyteller and strategist at Thrive Global. In every episode of this podcast, we talk to women about how they thrive in this world and explore the crucial link between self-care and confidence. We hear stories of women who went from surviving to thriving and learn tips for boosting our well-being so we can unlock more resilience and joy within ourselves. This week, I'm talking to Peloton instructor Tunde Oyenane about owning your self-confidence, taking time to unwind, and challenging racism in the fitness industry. Let's dive on in. Okay, so Tunde, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Clarice. Great to chat with you today. So just going on and diving on in, here we are in this year, 2020, one that no one could have predicted. Um, And even before this, Peloton already had developed a cult following. But once the coronavirus hit, people became even more obsessed. (laughs) You know, I would love to hear a little bit about how you became a Peloton instructor, especially because fitness wasn't always a part of your life. So can you just share a bit about your backstory for anyone who might not know it? Yeah, Clarice growing in that, we could spend the next hour chatting about my journey and, and how I got here <laughs> to Peloton. But I say that fitness found me and I didn't necessarily go looking for it in that I was actually, I was in LA mm-hmm. and I've been booked for a gig, a cosmetic gig, a makeup gig here in New York. So to rewind, I was a makeup artist for 16 years. I also lived in LA for 12 years. I was here in New York on business and uh, I went down to the hotel gym and the hotel gym was just kind of bootleg. Like I was like, what am I supposed to do with this equipment? There's nothing here. There's not enough. So I said I was going to go out and find a fitness class. I had never gone to a cycling class, but I knew the trend that was. I'd heard of it. So anyways, uh, it's snowing outside New York City. I think it's like December. And I find my way to a cycling class. You know, New York is expensive. By the time that I bought my shoes, bought my water, sat on this bike, I was $40 a week. And I was honestly, yep. I was upset with myself. I was like, Tunde, how could you allow yourself to spend $40 on a fitness class? So I'm telling myself before the class starts, I'm like, this better be good. So the instructor <laughs> walks in a room. Everybody starts hooping and hollering. It turned into a nightclub. Like lights went down. <laughs> shirts started coming off. I didn't know what was going on. I will say this. Three minutes into the class, I was in a state of euphoria. I like It was like something had come over my body. Yeah. And so I leave the studio that day. It's snowing outside. I'm skipping, not walking. I'm skipping back to my <laughs> hotel room. And it's like this wave of blue energy comes over my body. And in a matter of five seconds, I knew that I would be cycling for the rest of my life. Not only did I know that I would be cycling for the rest of my life, I knew that I would be teaching it. I knew that I would be teaching it on the world's largest platform. 
And I knew mm. that everyone would know my name for it. Call it a premonition, call it a vision. I call it just utmost certainty. Like the universe saying like, hey sis, this is it. And so um, in short, I got back to LA and I hit the round running. I was like, okay, so I guess I'm about to become a cycling instructor. Let me figure out how to do this. So I'm. that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So now pivoting into your life as a cycling instructor, people who ride with you are very vocal about the impact that you have on them and say that your joy is contagious. I can relate. I feel that energy right now. <laughs> um, Thank you. And I think that that really just demonstrates the power of virtual connection, which is obviously so very important during this time. We are all living this new virtual life. So can you speak to that power and share how you're able to really connect with thousands of riders through a screen? Well, I think, thank you for that beautiful compliment. I think that as people, we attract the energy that we receive. Like you are incredible. And if you don't feel incredible, just tell yourself that you are. Tell yourself that you are until you believe it. Because when people are coming to you, gifting you, pushing incredible energy at you, you have no choice but to feel incredible. So whether you feel good or not, fake it. Tell yourself that you feel good. Push out good energy. And by virtue, you'll receive good energy. Um, You know, when you go back to to my classes and uh, that's how, that's just how I live my life. If you know my story fully, it's like I've, I've experienced so much tragedy. Before the age of 30, I lost my little brother. Before the age of 30, I lost Mm -hmm. my dad um, and I lost my mom. And these were all losses that were three years apart back to back. And so it was just a tremendous amount of loss. And with that, I still say, I am so incredibly blessed. You know, my brother, man, I was, he, I lost him. He was the age of 19 when, when, when I lost him, but man, I had an awesome little brother. And I think about my parents and the relationship that I have with my mother, the relationship I have with my father. There's so many people that don't have relationships with their father. And so, yes, I lost my father way too soon, but dang, I got to have a relationship with my dad. You know, I lost my mom way too soon, but my mother was my best friend, you know? And so I look at, that part of my life. And then I look at where my life is now and I message my boss daily and she's probably so tired of me, but I'll just randomly message her and just be like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is my life. Like I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate. And I feel that it is uh, because I've received so much already in this life. um, It would be a disservice for me to not push that joy out and to share that joy so that hopefully somebody else can, can catch on to it um, and feel joy in their life and then, you know, push more joy out to the people in their daily world. Yeah, of course. And I'm I'm so sorry to hear about that loss. And I think that that's really powerful um, that you mentioned that and that it really brought you to where you are today. Um, so you exude inspiration, even through this conversation, it's like gem after gem after gem, like And I've heard you use mantras. You even just spoke about different affirmations and things that you share during your rides. So at Thrive, we really encourage the use of these mantras and affirmations. And there's science showing that using these affirmations help us build resilience overall. Um, I have really been trying to practice this more. I've got like my sticky notes on my walls, like you got this girl. Um, So can you just talk about your affirmations and how they've been helpful for you personally? Uh, You know, it's funny. I was actually my... um teammate Chelsea Jackson Roberts she's a 
yoga and meditation um, instructor for Peloton. She actually interviewed Deepak Chopra just this week. Mm. And he, Deepak said something that shook me to my core. He was talking about mantras and the importance of mantras. And we say things to ourselves and those things mm-hmm. that we say to ourselves become our truth because it's what we continue to speak. So if you say like, mm. oh, I'm really not good at this thing or, oh, my friends don't like me or whatever. If you, that becomes, that talk becomes your truth. But you talked about the mm-hmm. use of mantras to basically shake that out and let your mantra become your new truth, become your new belief. I believe in the, the practice of speaking these affirmations because I'd say for me, it shakes me out of the stories that I create in my head. Um, I rely on my own my own daily affirmations, if you will, to kind of to bring me back to center as well. I really like what you mentioned about using those mantras to challenge any negative self-talk that you might be having. You know, to course correct any feelings of inadequacy that you might be feeling and reminding yourself that whatever my mantra for this week, I'll share it, is I am worthy and I am loved. And I it's just something I tell myself when I wake up and it really just any self-talk where it's like, ooh girl, mm. no, you are worthy and you are loved. So I love that. I love that. You know, I gotta share some gems for the people. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. So now pivoting into your day-to-day and your work as a cycling instructor, you are teaching eight to 12 classes a week, which is a lot. So what do you do to avoid burnout? Um, I mean, I, I've always been good at finding my outlet and then the pandemic happened. I remember the first two weeks of the pandemic, I live in a high rise in New York and my, I can see, you know, like glass wall, whatever. And so I can see the city and the city was just gloom. There was gloom across the whole city. And so I was like, this is the beginning of the world coming to an end. And so I went through that phase. And then I went through a phase where it's just me and my dog in an apartment. Um, And so it was just so alone, so by myself. Now I've had to tap into accessing feeling good versus just like relying, oh, I'm mm. going to feel good. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll teach a whole bunch of classes. I don't know what I'll do later, but I'll be fine. Now I've had to like say, right. okay, when you wake up, you're not checking your phone. I wake up, I sing my dog a song. I give my dog like a good 10, 15 minutes of belly rubs. <laughs> then after that, I, first thing I do is I walk to the kitchen. I have two glasses of water and then I take my dog on a walk. On that walk, I'll either A, listen to nothing, just be in the city, or I listen to like some type of meditation or podcast, something that fuels my soul. Then I start life. Starting life meaning emails, answering texts, calling someone back. Um, But I give myself that hour and a half to two hours every morning to just sit with the stillness, with the quiet. You know how they say is the glass half empty or half full? It's like, I'm trying to overflow my glass. And so whether I'm half full or half empty, let's beyond it. Like let's make the cup overflow it. Yes. And so that first hour and a half, two hours of my day is my opportunity to allow my cup to, because people are going to ask for sips of water all day long. <laughs> so let me go ahead and just make sure I got a, like a little bit on reserve. So I just like let that thing tip over. All right. So. You honestly just touched upon so many Thrive micro steps with this morning routine and singing to your dog and, you know, making sure that you don't check your phone in the morning as soon as you open your eyes, I think is really important that 
a lot of people should practice, especially now that we are just oversaturated with screens everywhere. But at Thrive, we are really big on micro steps. And essentially, they are just small science-backed actions that can have immediate and long-lasting effects on our overall well-being. One of my personal favorite Thrive Micro Steps is all about choosing time to unplug from work and really sticking to it, which I think is more important like now <laughs> more than ever. So have you found any good tips that help you unplug from work and really recharge? I know that you talked about your morning routine, but do you have anything else that you can share? Truly working out. And for me, it's like not when I'm teaching in class, because when I teach a class, I obviously there's lights, there's cameras, I'm talking, so I can't tune out. Um, so my own personal workouts and uh, one of the classes that we offer on our Peloton platform, it's called a low impact ride. Um, and so and mm-hmm. it's just that it's like lower impact. I like to use those classes as moments to just like recharge and reconnect. The, the, the analogy I always say or use is that when your smartphone is on 10%, you panic. You're at the restaurant or wherever you are. You're like searching for an outlet, searching for something to plug into. But when we are running on 10%, when you are running on 10%, why do you not have that same sense of urgency to plug in, to recharge, to fuel up? You just allow yourself to burn and burn and run and run until it's like, you know, until you're completely powered off. And so yes, for me, working out, meditating, I like to just sit even in darkness with a candle and just lay and just be, um, just things that allow me to be so fully present and so fully lost at the same time. So things that allow me to be present and yet be lost. At the same time, those are really moments that allow me to to reconnect or to recharge or plug in. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Peloton instructor Tunde Oyane. Um, so now I want to dive into your ride for Black Lives Matter called Speak Up which has been streamed over 100,000 times, which is so incredible. And for listeners who aren't familiar, can you just tell them a bit about that ride and why you wanted to use your platform in that way? Yeah, so the Speak Up ride actually came, um, it was just after the murder of George Floyd. And um, I felt like the world was listening for the first time. And my boss came to me and basically said, you know, would you be interested in or open to leading some type of ride of solidarity? Um, And without even knowing what that was or what that was going to be or what that meant, I said, yes. I think I slept maybe three hours and 48 hours, like, because I was just like moving through all of my thoughts. And so everything that was coming, I was just writing it down, writing it down, writing it down. I remember there was a night that was like three o'clock in the morning and I was just up and I was writing and writing and writing and writing. And I wrote till about seven o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, wrote what, what came to be the speak up ride, which ultimately was a sharing of some of the experiences of some of the black employees, um, behind the scenes and, and mm-hmm. also the ones that are on camera. Um, some of their experiences and some of their stories. Um, if people were listening and, and open 
to listening. Um, I wanted to mm-hmm. use that the mic or use that platform to be so authentic and so real and to hold yeah. nothing back. And, you know, it's crazy because that day, the 22,000 people took that, that ride live. So in one moment, 22,000 people were taking that class. And to give you context, MSG holds 20,000 people. So it was a stadium oh my gosh. full of people. And I am moving through the ride and the ride was very uncomfortable. It was intended to be uncomfortable. Um, I said things mm-hmm. with the intention of making people feel uncomfortable because in order to get to change, we must be willing to face the discomfort. We have to lean into it. Yes. So I'm teaching this ride. There are 22,000 people at the start of this ride. Moving through the ride, ride is almost over. I've looked down at the leaderboard to see how many people, and I'm thinking to myself, if there are 6,000 people still here, this is a win because I'm thinking everybody's left. This is too much. And I look down and every single soul, I think it was 22,300 and X number, every single soul was still on oh the ride. And I took that as oh. a sign that, to me, that was progress. To me, that was change. It was people wanting to hear, wanting to learn. After that ride, the letters, the emails, the DMs, the messages that I heard. There was a one person, a gentleman who reached out and said, Tunde, prior to the that ride, the term Black Lives Matter, I found that incredibly offensive. I didn't get it. Wow. After your ride, not only do I understand the meaning of Black Lives Matter, but I stand with you. I had people that said after that ride, specifically white women who had said, mm-hmm. and this was actually probably after the second ride, people had said, you know, Tunde, I'd seen you on Peloton's platform for a year now. I've scrolled past your face thousands of times. I've never selected your class to take. I'm embarrassed to admit that I'd never taken your class because we look different. And because we look different, I didn't think that we'd have anything in common. Wow. And I, number one, I appreciated that those women had said that. And it wasn't just DMs that women had said that to me. They wrote it on their pages. So they posted it and tagged me. And to me, what was so beautiful in that is that took a lot. They opened themselves up to a lot of criticism to put that on their page. But again, I think that type of bravery is required to move in the right direction direction. And what I said, I think it was in my second Mm -hmm. ride, I I, I applauded and appreciated the women who had had wrote and said that to me. And the question that I asked back was, if this is a 20 minute or 30 minute class, maybe a 45 minute commitment, and you'd scrolled past my face hundreds of thousands of times, which you've attested to, Mm -hmm. if you were unwilling to invest 20 minutes in my class because I'm black and I look different from you and you think that we won't have anything in common. If you are a person in power who does hiring in organizations, is it possible that you scrolled past candidates based on the way they looked? If you didn't invest 20 minutes in me, why would you invest two years or 20 years in a candidate based on the way that they looked? Yes. And so it's, it's moments like that. It's things like that that I think that, Again, I applaud those women for being vulnerable enough, but then it's, I also ask that you go back and you require that type of self-awareness and truth 
from yourself. Oh, wow. I, I have chills from the story. And I want to thank you for using your platform in that way. I think that after George Floyd was murdered, there was so much pressure on Black creators to have to respond. And the reality was it was a lot, you know, trying to sift through our own feelings of what we were going through and simultaneously use our platforms for change to speak out against injustice. Um, And in regard to that self-awareness you mentioned, I agree that it is so, so important to put it back on other people and challenge them to do the work. Yes, you joined this ride. Obviously, it was incredibly impactful, but what are you going to do after this? You know, how how are you going to take that feeling of self-awareness and discomfort and apply it to your everyday life? So speaking on the subject of using our platforms for change, which is a topic I'm very passionate about, I want to chat about the fitness industry and its lack of diversity. As we know, it's overwhelmingly white and thin, but during this time in particular, the words diversity and inclusion are are being thrown about in a way that oftentimes just feels really inauthentic. Um, You know, people and brands, the fitness industry included, are really trying to hop on this train, but if it doesn't come from a place of real onus and wanting to actually do the work that will bring about lasting change, it's evident that it's inauthentic. So how would you like to see the fitness industry change? And what do you think real change actually looks like? I think real change will stem from people really believing it's necessary um, and the value. Mm-hmm. I say that to say I've, I, uh, as a uh, with my experience in the cosmetic world, you know, I know firsthand working for brands, yes. I know the fights <laughs> that I've had in closed conference rooms speaking to the importance of using Black women in marketing. I've been in closed door conversations speaking to product nomenclature. So incorporating products for deeper skin tone, not just having like one darker color and saying, okay, this is for all the sisters. Like, no, like having a breadth of of color. Um, When people utilize women of color for marketing or for campaigns, they use women of color to sell to other women of color, okay? Or people of color. Mm. When people use white people in marketing, they use white people to sell to everybody, right? I want people to understand the value and the power that a black woman holds. A black woman's beauty is equal to that of a white woman's beauty, not just as it pertains to other black people. And so I think that when people believe that, then they make the appropriate decisions based on that belief versus it just being reactionary so that we can tick a box to say that we too are diverse, that we too believe in inclusion. When you are doing things for the right reason, Mm -hmm. then you're setting yourself up to do things right. If I can go on and on, but as it specifically speaks to to inclusion um, for the BIPOC community, I think it's important to make sure that you have people in the room that come from the specific community that that you're trying to speak to. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Peloton instructor Tunde Oyeni. Cool. So now I'm going to ask you your Thrive Five, which is five rapid fire questions that 
I just want you to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? No. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. So firstly, what's your favorite self-care routine when you don't have a lot of time? Meditation. Wash my face. Perfect. You mentioned podcasts. So what's something you're listening to that's really resonating with you right now? Um, I'm a huge fan of Super Soul. I love Oprah. I watch it on, I like listen to the same episodes two or three times. So like listen here and then let it sit. Um, so yeah, Super Soul Sunday is probably my favorite. Oprah's my girl. I hear you. Uh, what's your nighttime routine? Uh, nighttime routine. Oh, listen to Beyonce, dance around my house like a wild person, then take my dog on a walk and listen to something like Masego or Quechonada, something more chill. Um, And then uh, before all that, I'll have a decaf cappuccino with something a little bit sweet. Ooh. Is there anyone you're following on social media who is making you hopeful right now? Ah, I love Angela Rye. She has a beautiful way of breaking information down um, to make it, to allow it to be really, really accessible. Like, I feel like I know major things that are going on because she just, she's real. She just talks like a real person. Um, so yeah, she's the first person that came to my thoughts, but there are many others. Um, and lastly, what's one piece of advice that you would go back and give to your younger self? Um, I would tell her that you are everything. I would tell her that what someone else will call or deem as the ceiling, that will not be your story. That will not be the truth for you. Keep going, Mm. keep believing, keep going, keep believing. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, Tunde. Thank you so much, Clarice. Thank you so much, Thrive Five. Thrive Five is an iHeartRadio podcast. From iHeart, our executive producer is Carrie Lieberman. Our Thrive Global team includes producers Marina Kreckel and Margarita Bertzos. Our talent booker is Lindsay Benoit O'Connell. Special thanks to Ann Sachs and Madison Odenberg. Our production partner is Neon Hum Media. Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris are the executive producers. Our lead producer is Joanna Clay. Hansdale Sue engineered this episode and composed our theme music. See y'all next week.